welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Connor Chato. And I'm Eamon Jen, co-hosting today. Our guest on this episode is Alex Leonard. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here today. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for being here. So you are a master's student right now in the Environmental and Sustainability Program here at Western. Yeah. Uh, that sounds cool. I've never heard of it. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is and what you do in this program? Absolutely. So the Masters of Environment or Sustainability, otherwise known as the MES program, is a one-year course-based, so no thesis, that Mm. has a co-op for the summer term. Mm -hmm. So the program itself covers a lot of uh, topics and theories related to sustainability at an interdisciplinary level. So very much like sustainability in business, ecosystem health, you know, learning about databases like GIS. Mm -hmm. It's a really great opportunity for students who want to make an environmental change in the world. And there's a lot of, you know, prestigious alumni from this program. It's been around for many years. So it's it's very um, inspiring for myself to be part of it. And, you know, I'm happy to be there. And you know, to share this experience on Gradcast today. Yeah, and it's super cool that there's a there's a hands-on element to it at the end. So there's a there's kind of a co-op mm-hmm. assigned section to that. Um, specifically, what what kind of project are you looking at? What are you aiming to to get into for the co-op section? I imagine it's it's coming up. It's in the summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah great question. So it's kind of what it is on everyone's mind right now, as you mm-hmm. can imagine. Uh, for myself. I come at this program in a slightly different angle than everybody else. So mm-hmm. I did my undergraduate in uh, at Concordia University within communications and cultural studies. Huh. Uh, and then cool. following that, I took some time off. Then I went, you know, I worked for a bit. Then I went to Fanshawe. I did a marketing management, just like a postgrad degree, took a little bit more time off. And now back here doing my master's at Western. Uh, so I have quite a bit of experience Uh, professionally like working in the market so I'm right now looking more to find like a job placement like a permanent placement Mm -hmm. but doing communications and marketing for either like an environmental organization or within the like sustainability department of a company like a big corporation Mm -hmm. all right then what is it about the uh, the environmental and sustainability aspect of this program that attracted you to it Mm-hmm. So for me, part of doing this program mm-hmm. was watching the world burn. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah, it's thinking, fine. It's yeah, fine. no, I don't know if it's fine though. Oh. You know, it's <laughs> it's pretty messed up. So right, yep. I spent like eight years before going into this program in the music industry. Mm-hmm. I lived in Montreal previously, um, so I was really involved there. Just different platforms, different festivals, um, and. At a point, I was like, wow, I kind of want to get out of this music industry. I saw all the avenues of career paths that Mm -hmm. I could take. You know, know, everyone thinks that you burn out when you're 30 if you're in the music industry. Maybe if you're like a star, but I saw the avenues for people who like do, you know, stage management or A&R or, you know, they're tour managers. Like those people keep going into like their 60s. But I was like, do I want to take that path? Mm, uh, not really. 
because if we don't have a planet to live on that's safe, then <laughs> none of that really matters. So right. that's kind of why I decided, you know what, let's do this program. Uh, super excited about it. And, you know, a lot of people in my program kind of come from an environmental science where mm-hmm. they did some sort of science undergraduate and they've come right into this program. I, you know, take some time off in between my, you know, previous education, but I'm, yeah, kind of coming in with a different angle to really tell the story that a lot of environmental organizations lack. They don't really have that marketing piece. Okay. Mm. So how are you finding the program then without the sort of science background? Is it sort of pitched and geared towards science graduates or are you <laughs> yeah, keeping up? It's a great question. Yeah. Uh, definitely not keeping up as as much as I, I have been in the past. Like when I okay. did marketing management at Fanshawe, right. I was like, this is my element. You know, I did communications, like this stuff makes sense. Yeah. And then I come to this program and there's a lot of things that are somewhat implied that you should know, like certain chemical compositions okay. yeah. or just things yeah. about like earth sciences that I'm like, wait, 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 what? You know, I haven't done <laughs> sciences since like A.B. Lucas High School. Hold <laughs> up. And, but I found that um, the teachers as well as the students are very like receptive and like if right. I didn't understand anything the teachers in the program have been more than happy to kind of help me out and likewise like when I'm doing group projects I've been like can someone I know it's kind of a basic question but can someone please explain this concept to me okay so yeah no but it has been a little bit more challenging for sure cool yeah um, you mentioned earlier there there are kind of the two two lanes you can you can go into one of them is kind of communicating on behalf of an environmental organization mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's something you you kind of talk about as as a need that isn't always met for these environmental organizations mm-hmm. but you also mentioned working in a business like a, a corporation as an environmental consultant I guess and I'm, I'm interested in that that role too so what, yeah. what kind of role would would that be yeah so like right now I guess in my career search online, uh, for what would be a co-op that I hope would just be like hire me full time and mm-hmm. then sign this extra contract here that's just need your signature that these first 500 hours is for my program. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks. Uh, but really the main two things that when I look online, it's like working with environmental organization, like a nonprofit often in like Toronto, Ottawa or Victoria. And those uh, often need like it's like you're kind of higher up tier level management mm-hmm. so i've applied to a bunch of those unfortunately haven't heard back yet from many um so i'm now kind of shifting my gears a little bit and looking more at applying to the like high high end corporate world where like applying but starting at that stage as like co-op like a summer internship and hopefully grow so for instance you know i've just applied for a a summer internship with microsoft i'm going to be applying for national geographic or like siemens in the uk so these like large multinational corporations as opposed to the small ngos uh and i think it's just a different strategy Mm -hmm. but i've been applying to a lot of the ngos and things like that for kind of higher management tier positions not just like the internships and it's not really panned out so that's why I'm trying to shift gears but also um, you know kind of side story here I was speaking to people of course as you can imagine about this application to co-ops 
And I guess, you know, if grad students are listening, maybe this can be of some sort of inspiration. But I was speaking to somebody at this networking event and I was talking about, you know, how I'm looking for things. And I was saying, you know, I would love to work with an organization like National Geographic, but maybe I should start with like, uh, you know, start with like the smaller organizations and kind of build up my experience. And the response back that I got from this gentleman was like, no, man, what? like screw that. Like aim big, like go for the, go for the big corporations, even though they're like corporations, go for those big organizations. If that's really where you want to end up anyways, Mm -hmm. because you may as well get in now. Cause if there's any time to get in, it's now. Yeah. Do do you feel like in those corporations, um, the environmental voice is getting bigger? Like, like these roles where their aim is maybe to mitigate some action that this corporation could do that could be damaging or advise them or be consulted on some new project or expansion. Uh, do, do you see that as a, as a field that's growing? Do you, are you like optimistic about it getting bigger and bigger? And Oh, absolutely. So one really uh, great asset that this MES program has kind of provided so far is we have a lot of panel discussions where, you know, due to the program's large background of alumni because it's been around so long, Mm. we're getting, like, MES alumni from, like, 2008 or, like, 2013 who are like, oh, yeah, I'm now the sustainability coordinator for Air Canada, you know, or, like, for all of North America who come in and they talk about, yeah, I did this program. We used to be in X building or whatever on campus, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're saying how more and more they're seeing a push by their boss, so like the C-suite level at a lot of these organizations who are pushing down to them, like, we need to do more, we need to be active more, like, here's more and more for your budget to improve your research, to improve your marketing, to improve, like, so many aspects. So it is kind of hopeful to see. Um especially like being in this program, seeing a lot of these like large organizations who have that role that you wouldn't have necessarily thought, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so for instance, one day we had a panel where someone from Air Canada, someone from Ford, and it was someone from McDonald's. And it Mm. was like the top, I think like two of them were alumni, but it was like the top sustainability like directors for North America coming in yeah, uh, and they were all kind of talking about what it is that they do. And that was super interesting to hear. Mind you, I have to say a lot of people in my class, including myself, grilled them. Yeah, like we right. kind of challenged them. We're like, oh yeah, really Air Canada? Are you so, like, are you really that sustainable? You know, things like that. Like, yeah. and to be fair, they, you know, they, they, yes, they were giving themselves pats on the back, but <laughs> They also acknowledged the the nature of what it is that they do mm-hmm. and that there's always room for improvement. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I imagine it's a it's a bit of a, a sometimes frustrating job because you're trying to challenge this company that you work for and say, hey, we need to do this differently for environmental reasons. And mm-hmm. if, if, it, if it's purely just a kind of expanding corporation mindset, 
mm-hmm. I imagine it's it's this sense of like, well, we wish there were no rules. We wish we could do whatever we wanted. But of course, this, this environmental consultant thankfully walks in with a few <laughs> rules to give them and say, you can't do this. You well, can't it's do. interesting that you say that because like the last guest <laughs> that we had was a gentleman who works at 3M who mm-hmm. specializes in their sustainability for the Canadian uh, market at the 3M's like main offices here in London. And he was explaining the, how he's always kind of uh, head on head with the marketing department because they're trying to make all these like, you know, lofty green claims. And he's like, oh, wait, wait, you can't say that. Like <laughs> that needs to be scientifically validated. Like mm-hmm. we're going to get grilled if the CRTC comes in or if a competitor challenges us on this. Right. Yeah. So like. You know, he was saying that he's always kind of at heads with marketing and they're trying to make these claims, but he's trying to refute them because he's looking at it from a very logical kind of scientific viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's interesting to me because I'm trying to merge the two yeah. where I come into this puzzle. And I think I could do a great job at it. You know, So if you're listening, future employer, I'll be sharing <laughs> this link. Definitely bring me on to your team. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's cool that you have that marketing background. It's, it's, yeah. it's cool that you're, you're, you're coming into it from what seems like a unique perspective and that there's a, they're, they're usually coming from a more scientific logic background but without as much communication. Yeah, cool. Well, speaking of future employers, uh, do you have an idea right now what your like ideal position, job, uh, company to work for would be right now? Mm-hmm. What? So you, you you said you were speaking to um, someone who said you know just whatever you're interested, in, just shoot for it, go for you know shoot for the moon or whatever. What would that be? What would that look like for you right now? I think for me it would be working with National Geographic. I think that okay, would be yeah. one of the coolest jobs ever. Uh, you know, I'm, go- I'm gonna apply to a few of the, um, their internships. It's in the United States though. They're mm-hmm. like, it's based in Washington, DC. So that's like a whole other hurdle to get over if, you know, if I get yeah. in, which, you know, if that were to be the case, I'll deal with it when the time arises. Right. Uh, but what I would love to do is work with an organization that already is doing something good Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe do less of the like consultant sciencey sustainability side and do more of their marketing, but do it for an organization that already is doing something that it's like that's an easy sell for me. Like I would enjoy mm-hmm. doing that and then I would love to be on like their video editing team or okay. going out and filming documentaries for them. Cool. That's cool. Uh the the documentary filming skill set is, is that something you've done you've done a bit of before yeah absolutely so i've been a filmmaker uh for the past two years i have my own um business right now it's called al media cool and so you can find me on my website alexleonardmedia.com or on social media just a quick plug there alex leonard media and i really started uh and I guess this is a good segue to kind of some of the research that I've done, but I really started doing video when I won a scholarship from IVHQ to go to Sri Lanka in 2018. So mm. I won it at the end of 2017 out of over 5,000 applicants. Wow. Um, so yeah, I just after I finished my undergrad, I got an email from IVHQ. I, they're like the International Volunteer HQ. They're like a volunteer abroad kind of based organization. They sent me a promo email when I was just like applying for jobs 
I saw this email. I said, hey, why not just apply for that? I'm applying for other jobs. Like, you know, what's going to happen? Like two weeks later, I get an email. Congratulations. Like you were one of our nine finalists. Like out of over 5,500 applicants, like please confirm by Monday. It was like the Friday. And I was like, oh my God. Right? So I was like, confirm. Not giving you a whole lot of time. Boom, right? Monday rolls around. They're like, amazing. You're one of six finalists. And I was like, wow, like three people didn't get the memo. Like wow. these numbers keep getting better and better, right? <laughs> so anyways, yeah. it was like then like a one week period of like public voting. Yeah. Huh. So um, yeah, I just like few days I was kind of slacking and someone kind of had a head start for me this woman in the United States but then I was just like you know what go full tilt just like every day like 16 hours I was just like pushing that across all social media my mom was a huge help in like different community like Facebook groups and things like that shouts out mom I love you um, <laughs> and yeah so anyways they were said okay you can go in 2018 just like tell us when your flights paid your time there's paid and my travel insurance was paid amazing it was an amazing experience um, so I did my research but anyways like when I started to realize okay I was going to Sri Lanka to help elephants that was what the uh, the purpose of the trip was to go help do um, groundwork research to help mitigate the conflict between humans and elephants mm-hmm. in northern rural parts of Sri Lanka. Um, so I was like, well, I should buy a drone, of course. You know, I was looking up Sri Lanka and I saw these amazing drone videos yeah. of the country. And I was like, well, that's the most logical assumption to make at that <laughs> point in time. Uh, and so I started to fly a lot more I had to get more experience with my drone because I was like, well, if I fly it now and I just have more practice, you know, if I have to do an emergency landing in that farm over there, you know, that's a whole lot easier to go recover than like if I have to do emergency landing in like the jungle, mm-hmm, yeah. right? Like there's no emergency landing in the jungle. That's it. You've lost your drone. <laughs> yeah. um, so I just like started to get more and more into that, started reaching out to different companies and businesses, like a lot of local businesses. And one thing led to another. And then, you know, that became a job for me. And then actually I spoke to a friend of mine, Andrew Whiten, shouts out to him, an amazing videographer, also from London. Uh, and he goes to Sri Lanka every year to surf because it's a really big surfing country. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a surfer myself. I was like mainly doing research in, in the jungle there. Anyways, but he was like, dude, as you travel, reach out to hostels and like or like hotels or whatever and offer them video services in exchange for food and dorm. Yeah. And I was like, dude, that's genius. So anyways, as I went there, that's kind of also how I paid for my time traveling around if I wasn't like in that. Because I was with the program that I won the scholarship for for two weeks, Mm -hmm. but I went for a month. So I was there for a little bit just beforehand, kind of made my own way there, and then a little bit afterwards. Um, But something that is related to this the idea of helping mitigate conflict between humans and elephants kind of tied in now coming back to some of the research that I did uh, last semester for an environment. It was relations and management class. So it's talking about policy behind um, policy and management and sustainability. That was the name of the class. There you go. All right. Uh, so yeah, so that was really focused my final research paper on how we can sustainably improve relationships between humans and elephants uh, through ways that are environmental and efficient. So to give you an idea of what I'm talking about here, like the number one way to kind of keep elephants away from farmers' fields Mm -hmm. within Sri Lanka 
um, but also like kind of on a wider context here, is often electrical fences. Mm-hmm. Um, electrical fences obviously are a very high use of energy mm-hmm. and not often the most sustainable uh, forms of you know protecting them because they often will kill the elephant. Um, so wow. in Sri Lanka, what they've done, the organization I was with, uh, the Sri Lankan Wildlife Conservation Society, is they've been planting citrus trees. Um, so citrus trees are, A, you're planting trees. Mm-hmm. B, elephants don't like the smell of citrus. Huh. So they actually, they're more effective than electric fences. They're way more cost effective as well because you don't have to install all these electric fences. And they provide an economic benefit cross-generational to the farmers who now not only are there like rice and they're like banana fields protected, but they're now getting additional revenue and food from like oranges and lemons. That's it's such an ingenious project. So like in my research that I also did uh, for this class, I was looking up like how has that been done in Cambodia? Like what, because I was a case comparison between Sri Lanka and Cambodia. And in Cambodia, they're doing similar, something similar, but using jalapenos. So oh, hot, okay. hot chili peppers, because again, elephants don't like the taste of that. And then it's a natural deterrent to keep them away as well. So for these deterrents, jalapenos, citrus fruits, things like that, do they only work when they're fruiting or is it like a year-round thing? Mm, it's a really good question. Uh, I would say because of the climate okay. that it would be probably year-round. Um, although I don't know because it maybe it may be when it's in season mm-hmm. and I would need to do a little bit more investigation into that because I was more just thinking like big picture how can we avoid like fences that elephants are just going to break through anyways right yeah. uh, and like different solutions to that so, so could you tell us a little bit more about what sorts of uh, human elephant conflicts uh, exist in these sorts of places um so I think you're talking about elephants going into sort of farmland and things like yeah, that. Yeah, like elephants as pests almost. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And mitigate that. Well, I mean, the first thing I thought, you know, human-elephant conflict, like... Like poaching you, uh, uh, Well, or, that yeah. too. Or just, you know, a person going one-on-one against an elephant. You're not going to win. <laughs> yeah, right? so so oh, it's, a great, it's a great point. So mainly within these... So within Sri Lanka, uh, Sri Lanka has some of the highest conflicts per capita than any other country. With elephants? Uh, with elephants. Wow. It's a huge issue in Sri Lanka. Uh, part of that conflict is seeing very high elephant deaths, but also high human deaths as well. Okay. Uh, mainly elephant raids in crops happen at nighttime. Mm-hmm. So elephants have a, an odd sleep cycle where like they're awake for every six hours and then they sleep for like 20 minutes standing up and then they're like awake for every six hours. Cool. They like don't like sleep in like our natural sleep cycle and they're most active at night from like dawn to dusk. So what would happen that, yeah. is elephants will come into these like farms, raid the farms, um, and in doing so, often farmers are trying to keep them away. So a lot of right. farmers during harvest season will sleep in tree huts uh, and then either throw firecrackers to scare herds of elephants or, you know, less conservative, I guess you could say, or less sustainable farmers will right. actually shoot the elephants. Yeah. Now, a lot of the time they don't shoot to kill okay. because they don't want like a dead elephant, like literally on the yard. Sure. So what they'll do is they'll shoot it to cripple it. 
so that oh, it wow. leaves yeah. and then dies in like the bush. Mm. So they'll shoot it in its leg. Um, so a huge conflict. Uh, and the solution is like an- another thing that's just there's a lot of tension, mm, right? Yeah. Between between locals and then uh, elephants. So that's kind of Sri Lanka that on a nutshell. Um, within Cambodia, a lot of the conflict is not as severe, but a lot of that conflict... Um, a lot of the hu- a lot of the elephant deaths are not caused from locals they're actually caused from tourists oh so tourists who ride elephants okay riding elephants is a much bigger issue within Cambodia um, within Sri Lanka it's not as large of an issue because Sri Lankan elephants are actually a different subspecies of elephants mm-hmm. so they're the elephant maximus maximus as opposed to the Asian elephant in general it's just the elephant maximus so the Maximus Maximus, which is the Sri Lankan subspecies, is quite smaller even than the Asian elephant, which okay. is even smaller than the African elephant. So you don't really see a lot of riding within Sri Lanka. Uh, within Cambodia, you do see that more of the tourist attractions. Um, and so a lot of the deaths there have just been from being over overrun. Uh, but if people are interested to learn more about this, one thing that I will say is I'm going to be doing a presentation about this and about an actual upcoming documentary that I'm making that kind of focuses on these issues. And that's going to be at the Western University Anthropology Graduate Society Conference, otherwise known as the WEGS Conference. This is the eighth year it's running. I'm going oh, to cool. be speaking at this, doing a 20-minute presentation as a graduate student and so the theme for this year is supporting sustainability and conservation in anthropology. So that's happening March 20th and 21st. Okay. Something to look forward to there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let, let's, let's say you, 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 you do end up getting a job with uh, National Geographic or um, a smaller NGO. Would, would you like to be doing animal-focused work, you know, human-animal interaction? Or it's... To get more specific about uh, things you like doing and things you're interested in doing, do you are you really interested in interactions between humans and animals in particular? Um, I think humans and elephants has always been a key Im- interest of mine. Yeah, I think though that if I were to work with an organization, as long as it has some sort of sustainability, you know, underlying mission that I'd be totally content. So if it's food, I think that's super important yeah. to me. You know, I'm a vegan and I'm not going to get into that right now, but that, you know, food nature, that would be really important. But also if it's anything to do with like sustainable buildings or climate policy, all mm. of that, I think is all really relevant. So yeah, it doesn't have to be human elephant relations, just anything that to me would be kind of key focused in the area of sustainability. Cool. Um, so I guess we're coming up to the end of our programming. Yeah. Uh, I guess for this last couple of minutes, Alex, is there anything you want to plug? So if people are interested in perhaps um, speaking with you for video, uh, video and Production, marketing yeah. and other promotional sort of services, what sort of things can you do? What sort of things would you like to do? So I am a videographer. I also paint murals, something that we didn't really talk about. But if anyone did want a mural, I'd be interested. Um, no but mainly videos or if you just really if you want to get in touch with me, hit me up on social media. That's Alex Leonard, L-E-O-N-A-R-D, media. 
You can find me on my website as well, Alex Leonard Media, so you can see a lot more of my videos, art, portfolio, it's all there. I'd say that's the best way. And if you want to learn specifically more about the research that I've done about elephant and human relationships, come to the WAGS conference happening March 20th, 21st. That's going to be here on Western Campus. It's free to attend. It's going to be a great time. And there's going to no. be a lot of interesting projects there. Not right. something you want to miss. Thanks for coming on the show, Alex. Thank you both for having me here. We'll have that information in the show notes. For uh, sure. Sounds great. Cheers. Have this, a great day. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Connor Chato, and my co-host was Yimin Chen. We've been speaking with Alex Leonard, and this episode was produced by Laura Munoz. If you would like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we're on the radio at chrw94.9 FM. You can also find all our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts can be uploaded to have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night.